Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I feel like Daniel Jones, he eats a lot of criticism, right? When things aren't going well, he eats a lot of that criticism. What can you say about him in the big moments of this game tonight? That he's so committed and he's so hard working that he doesn't even he blocks it out but me i'm gonna talk some spit you know what i'm saying and, I, and everybody that's that's doubting him and looking down on him he's our leader and we believe in him and that's just that's the way it is and he's gonna keep leading us he's played he's been playing his butt off and the coach and everybody has just rallied around him and he's been continuing to, to, to be more efficient and make more plays so i'm, I'm excited for the future Kayvon thibodeau from peacock sunday night football final available on Peacock until 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. You can check that out there. The Giants pull off the victory. This was one of those where you, you, you never, you just, every time you think you have it figured out, every time you think the trends are tracking a certain way, it just completely reverses itself. The Giants had been struggling of late. These two teams played two weeks ago to a tie, and the Commanders had a bye, and the Giants got the crap kicked out of them by the Eagles in the interim. So, of course, the Giants would go to FedEx Field and beat the Commanders 20-12. to 12. Giants 8-5-1. and one. They're now the sixth seed. The Commanders are the seventh seed at 7-6-1. Washington holding that half-game lead over the Seahawks and the Lions. Ties come in handy when it's time to sort out playoff spots because you don't get into tiebreakers as often as you otherwise would. And there won't be a tiebreaker between the Giants and Washington because if they have the same record... The Giants at 1-0-1 have the edge. So that works out pretty well when when it comes to the dividing line of in or out. And Washington right now is holding on to that spot. And, of course, some Commanders fans today very upset about the officiating late in the game that prevented the Commanders from potentially forcing another overtime this weekend where there were a bunch of them and in that series where their last game went the 74 minutes without a winner, And it sure felt like the commanders were going to pull it off. They had a touchdown taken off the board by an illegal formation call. They had, and we'll talk about that, we'll hear from Terry McLaurin on it in a minute, the defensive pass interference. That was the kicker. That was the one, and I understand, Miles, 
late in the game, what happens? The flag gets shoved down a little bit more in the pocket, right? Yeah. They officiate it differently. I'm, I'm one of those who believes that if it's interference in the first quarter, it should be interference in the fourth quarter, and the officials should have the courage to throw a flag if it's interference. You shouldn't be allowed to mug a guy. The, the still frames of, of Curtis Samuel, it's almost like the thing they do. I saw one still frame, like when someone stands behind someone else and they put their arms through their armpits and act like they're their arm. You know what I mean? That's what it looked like. It looked like that's what the defensive back was doing to Curtis Samuel, like pretending to be his arms. There it is. There it is. Yeah. It looks like Curtis Samuel's wearing red gloves. <laughs> that, that to me, that to me would seem to suggest that the effort of Curtis Samuel to catch the ball was impeded significantly by the defensive back, Miles. Yeah, I it's I understand shoving the flag a little bit further down in your pocket in certain situations because you don't want to necessarily be the story if you're an official, but that one right there, that's egregious pass interference. I mean, that is really, really impeding Curtis Samuel's ability to go up and catch the ball. He is there early. It is clear and obvious, as we use that term a lot, right? Pass interference. And so I think at that point, you can not only call that, but you can justify calling that. And I think that sometimes is like, oh, well, can I really justify calling this in this situation for this particular play as opposed to just letting them settle it? Like, yeah, you really can. Because at that point, you know, if you're the Giants defense, you want to do everything you can to keep that touchdown off the board. So even if it is pass interference, it's not the worst thing in the world because it means that you didn't allow him to catch the ball so that you set up a two-point play to potentially tie the game. You can have a goal line stand, right? But I, I just thought that that one was so clear and obvious. You really got to call that flag. But you're right. You're right. What, what, what would you do if you're the defensive back in that situation? You're going to pull the guy down because go ahead. Go ahead. Have first and goal from the one. That's better. Yeah than just giving you the touchdown, and then we have to defend the two-point conversion to avoid the tie game. We, we made, or at least I did, snarky comment earlier about the NFL's propensity in these pool reports, which are completely meaningless because all they do is recite the obvious conclusion that we all know they reached. Hey, why did you not overturn the play where the foot was on the line? There was not clear and obvious evidence to overturn it. Well, thank you. We know that, but why? Same thing last night, John Hussey, the referee for the game, pool reporter, asked the question on the fourth down play. It looked like defensive pass interference. Nothing was called. Are you able to explain what was seen here? Answer, pass interference is a judgment call. To the officials, it didn't rise to what they felt was a restriction. Thus, they didn't call it. That's basically the bottom line there. It's a judgment call, and they didn't believe it was pass interference. Well, that's good to know. It's good to know that they actually, you know, weren't cheating that they actually believed they didn't see pass interference. The question is, why? And I don't know that John Hussey's the right one to talk to because it's not his call, it's not his play, and it's not subject to replay review. Like, Thank you're God. down there in the middle of all of it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm all for transparency, and there isn't nearly enough of it when it comes to officials. This isn't – see, the pool, the pool report is worthless here. The pool report, I don't know that it provides some sense of – closure or anything no the problem still exists it was a bad call i don't they can say whatever they want they can run themselves in circles they can chase their tails all they want it doesn't matter it was a bad call and wouldn't you like wouldn't you like i go back to the days of 
either Mike Pereira or Dean Blandino, when they would go on NFL Network on Wednesday night, and they would explain and address the calls, not just the good ones. And it wasn't just the, the, the old uh, TASS, the old Soviet news agency, the house media like NFL Network is. It wasn't that. It was the truth. They would be transparent. They would admit the mistakes. And then the, the officials get upset that they're getting called out. Well, tough shit. Don't make mistakes and you won't get called out. What a great incentive that would be. You know, if nothing else works, you're going to get called out on NFL Network on Wednesday night when you don't call pass interference, when the guy's arms are draped over his shoulders and he's pulling him backward. So that's, that's what's missing here. And that's the reason why this is upsetting to me, Miles, and then I'll shut up and let you chime in. That's the stuff that makes people say it's rigged. Yesterday after the Patriots game, NFL rigged was trending. Last night, Commanders fans, they don't want the Commanders in the playoffs. They don't want Dan Snyder in the playoffs. Hey, I'm at the front line of dealing with these people. And I try to tell them that's not the case. It's just incompetence. It's not, there's no grand right. conspiracy against you. It's just the referees aren't very good sometimes. Anyway, I, it would just be nice. It would be nice if someone in a position of power and influence would acknowledge it. And then they would do something about it. See, they don't want to acknowledge it, Miles, because they don't have to do anything about it. Because, again, I'm not fishing my $20 bill out because I'm afraid I'm going to drop it and forget about it. Just let's, let's get full-time officials. Let's do what we have to do. Let's spend the money to make it better. They're not doing enough to make it better. It's the lack of accountability, right? I mean, if anybody else on a football field bleeps up, we're going to talk about it and there's accountability for it. And they get asked about it and they've got to explain it. The officials don't have to do that. And then they get upset when they are kind of held accountable for it, at least from us and the punditry business, right? Writers, whoever, other people that talk on television or radio podcast, whatever it happens to be. But if you make a mistake, then you're going to get called out. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes there's a little too much rallying around everybody and we've got to defend everybody and we've got to do this and we got to do that. And we can't just say we were wrong. And I, I think that there should be more of an admission of, Hey, we were wrong. We've got to make sure we get this stuff right. There were just a lot of mistakes throughout the course of the weekend where you can see that. And what's the psychology of that anyway? That's the way it's always been. Thou shalt not criticize. Here's Ron Rivera from after the game treading lightly, because if you, if you mistakenly tell the truth about how you got screwed, then you got to make an involuntary contribution to the charity of the NFL's choice. Here's Ron Rivera. The call on Terry. Terry seemed pretty adamant he had pointed his hand out to the ref. What, what was the explanation? What did you guys see on, on the film? Looked like Terry pointed That's his hand. That's exactly the... what I thought, too. Thank you. And I got to ask about the Curtis one as well. Um, it, it, the fourth down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah. in fact, don't ask me about the refereeing because I can't answer the question. Yeah, isn't it ridiculous? Isn't it ridiculous? And, and I love it when one of these coaches just said, screw it, I, I don't care. You know what, I'll just, I'll, it's a write-off, I think. I don't know. But it goes to charity. There's got to be a way. It's a 501c3 floating around out there somewhere. You get a, a receipt and you can take it all your tax. I, it's, you could tell Ron Rivera really wants to be able to do it, and he should be able to do it. Yeah. Why do we circle the wagons? Why do we protect? Like, we act like the officials are these delicate flowers. We can't right. hold them accountable. We can't call them out. They're adults. We can't. Yes. And, and, hey, you know what? Maybe if you paid them a little bit more, you'd feel more comfortable holding them accountable. Maybe if they were full-time officials, right. 
they'd be more accountable. Th- yeah. That's another conversation for another day that we've had in the past that I, I am committed now to going full-blown assault. There All has right. to be full-time officials at the appropriate Woo! time. And it, it comes down to, Miles, they're too cheap. The oligarchs are too cheap. And it's funny. They tried to appeal to the sense of greed last week when it comes to not firing a bunch of coaches. Hey, do you realize how much money you're spending on the bad coaches that you fired to try to make your team better? Well, you know, that's the problem. There's too much greed floating around in these multi-billionaires. At some point, they have to realize it's good for the sport, and it's going to hurt them. Pennywise, pound foolish. It's going to hurt them if they don't devote assets to improving officiating in an age of legalized gambling, it's legitimizing the tinfoil hat crowd. It's making people think there are Tim Donahue's floating around out there. And I'm the one that's trying to fend them all off. And at some point, I'm just going to give up. Not that I'm the only one. I mean, but I, de- I, I have the direct pipeline to the fans through social media because I'm stupid enough to give out my email address. I've doxed myself. I've given my assassination coordinates to the world. Uh-oh. <laughs> but... At some point, I'm just going to stop and say, NFL, it's your problem. You deal with it. You deal with the controversy. You deal with the congressional investigation. You deal with the prosecution. You deal with all the stuff I've been trying to save you from because it's coming if you don't change your ways. Boy, this is Sorry. the second officiating. Can we get to the Terry McLaurin thing? Because I, I yes. do want to talk about yes. that. Yes, and, and the Terry McLaurin thing, and we see this all the time. The guy's lined up. And he's like, am I okay? Am I okay? Watch the official. He's ready. He's like, I got you. I got you. I got my flag ready. Huh? You're in a bad spot. I got you. What is that? We never see that. We see cooperation between the player and the official. Help the guy out. He's trying to make sure he's lined up properly. He's checking with you. Am I okay? Am I okay? You're okay. What's he pointing? What's he pointing at? That's that. That's almost worse. That's That makes it even harder. It is worse to me. That makes it harder for me to say to anybody... You're crazy if you think they don't want Dan Snyder in the playoffs. That This, to me, was a bigger problem almost than the, the non-pass interference call because, A, this was a touchdown that they wiped off the board for some ticky-tack BS Meaningless. Reason. Meaningless. It, yeah. It, it was ridiculous because, I mean, the process there, and I, I never played wide receiver. I'm not that athletic. But I know even because this happens in basically every level of football, right? In high school, your receiver goes out. And he says, when he puts his fist out like that, on, sir. And then the official, as you see there, goes, you need to move up a little bit. And then he does. So, like, he moves up. So what are we doing here where it's this ticky-tack garbage that has nothing to do with the play? And the receiver checks with the official to make sure he is on the line. I just... Why then are you just going to say, oh, yes, I'm putting my hand in my pocket. <laughs> I've got you. I've got you. I mean, it's ridiculous. Wasn't that, an- wasn't that another Alanis Morissette song? We talk about ironic all the time. I've got one hand in my pocket, right? Yeah. And, and, the, other, and the other hand's giving me the finger. Yeah. <laughs> You're just actually throwing up a peace sign. Yeah, I love I love that album. It's a great album. Can we hear from Terry McLaurin? Because he, he did talk about this. Sure. Go ahead. Throw- Miles, Miles is thrown to the sound. Here's Terry McLaurin Let's talking about Terry how McLaurin. he got screwed point at the ref can you take us through what you saw in that sequence uh yeah um i felt like i was on the ball the uh entire time if you look through the the game i lined up there pretty much every play so i checked to see if i was good the first time 
and he was like, like, move up a little bit. So when I moved up, I checked to see if I was good, and he said I was good. So, um, no, I'm not trying to get fined. So <laughs> we had our other opportunities before it to come down like that. That's tough. But Terry, he told, did you hear him tell you that you were okay? Yeah, I did. Like that's why I'm giving him a thumbs up twice to make sure I was, I was good. But I mean, in that event, I guess I can't make it close for a judgment call, but uh, like I said, I feel like I checked with him twice. It was funny how he gathered himself initially. There was what he yeah. wanted to say, and then there was what he actually said, and I don't fault him for that. There's a pool report portion of it on that as well. When John Hussey, the referee, was asked about it, and I'm paraphrasing here just to get through it. Let's talk about the Terry McLaurin play. Was that indeed an illegal formation? It appeared he had pointed to the official. Is the official obligated to tell Terry he's at the line or not? John Hussey, well, I didn't see any of that. I'm in the backfield. <laughs> Why am I the one that has to deal with this, basically? I was told, and what has been confirmed, is the ball was snapped at the half-yard line. He was lined up a yard back at the one-and-a-half-yard line. In order to be deemed legal, he needed to break the belt line, the waist of the center, and he was not breaking the waistline of the center. That's why the penalty was called, because he was not in legal formation. Question, when a player does point to the official like that, does the official have to say whether he's at the line or not? Answer from John Hussey. Not typically. And the official could be doing other things like counting the offense. There's a multitude of different duties, so I can't confirm whether the official even saw that or not, but he was clearly off the line of scrimmage. Look, we see this all the time. Anybody who watches football, you see the receiver gets in his stance and looks, and they look, and they check, and they step back, they step forward. They help them get properly aligned. That has been part of football forever. At every level. You see it at every level. The guys farther from the ball making sure that they are lined up right because that blue line that you see on the TV screen, by the way, some people find out to their surprise when they actually attend a game in person. The blue line, the yellow line, it's not there. They don't see it. They're trying to do parallax view and geometry and am I okay, am I okay, am I okay? And they they cooperate. And it sure looked to me like the official was cooperating, not setting a trap. That's what was so weird about it. Yes, Yes, it effectively was a trap, and that's not something that you usually see. I mean, think about how many times Terry McLaurin probably was lining up on the ball throughout the entire game, which means he's doing this to that official throughout the entire game. And why is it at that point that you decide, I'm not going to be as helpful as I've been throughout the entire game? It's very uncharacteristic for Terry McLaurin to not know what he's doing, which is why when you watch it and you see Terry McLaurin be like, hey, look, am I on the line of scrimmage? And then not only that, but he does move up. So it's like, this is that's also in some ways a judgment call by the official to say, I am going to declare that Terry McLaurin is too far back, even though he checked with me and then he moved up. I think that it's a certain point. You've got to understand what the spirit is of what dudes are doing on the field. And if he literally knows he has to be on the line of scrimmage and asks you and moves up to do it, put your damn flag away and don't affect a play that then controls the outcome of the game. I just, I don't understand why somebody would do that. It, that that one ticks me off even more than the non-pass interference call. It, it really does, Mike. And, and, he, and here's why. And I, I'm going to quit holding my tongue about it. That is the way that a Tim Donahue can infiltrate the officiating ranks. That is a way that one guy who is on the take, who has either made a bet or legally made a bet in where, whatever jurisdiction he lives in or, or 
had a friend or a relative make the bet for him, right? That's a way you can do it. Or or some some guy that, you know, is just hanging around, offers you a little bit of money to help him out here or there. That is a pathway. That's why I don't like the when in doubt, throw the flag for roughing the passer. It gives too much right. discretion to the referee, and it creates an opening for a Tim Donahue. That, what we saw last night, is an opening for a Tim Donahue because it's irrelevant to the play. It's like calling holding 30 yards away from the ball. Yeah. It, it's even worse than that. That The fact that Terry McLaurin was standing where he was had nothing to do with the play that transpired. It didn't come his way. He didn't go in motion. He didn't do anything. There was no involvement of Terry McLaurin. He was just a bystander. He may as well have just stepped off the field. Just play with 10, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter at that point. It is, it's, it's infuriating that it happened, and it underscores the fact that the NFL better get its house in order or we're going to be having a 30-for-30 30 30 someday. We're going to have full-blown documentaries. We're going to be talking about it for months. There's going to be a congressional investigation about the guy that slipped through the cracks of the part-time employees who are officials and brought down the game. That's what they need to be concerned about. And I don't know why I'm concerned about it, and they're not. It doesn't affect me. Well, it does in a roundabout uh, way. I'd like to have a sport to still cover. But I, I, I just – I don't get it, Miles. I don't get it. Do you get I mean, to a it, point – where you have so much wealth and so much power that you become so arrogant and so obstinate and so thick-headed that you don't have the ability to understand how things can unfold in a way that will screw you. And I almost said the other word. Ooh. Well, look, that there's been a partnership. Good for anybody. Yeah, it wouldn't have. <laughs> then I'll really have to host the show by myself. <laughs> but there's a partnership that exists between players and officials. Right. And you have to have that trust because in a certain point, officials are basically in charge of player safety and making sure that everybody can have a safe game on the field. They, they do things like that. It's like kind of like flight attendants, right? There's a partnership between your flight attendant and yourself whenever you're on a plane and you have to follow the rules. Uh, so if there's going to be that partnership that you have, then you have to be able to trust the official. And if Terry McLaurin is asking, am I on, sir? And then he moves up. I just feel like there's a spirit of what's going on in the game and within the play that you don't call that flag there because he is trusting you and you are apparently, I mean, Terry McLaurin said he was told that he was good. Maybe he misheard and I'm giving a lot of grace to the official on that. But at the same time, whenever somebody asks, am I on? And then they move up. That's usually the end of it. Anything other than this, anything other than this, right? right? Anything other than some obvious display from the official that, that you're not in the right spot should just, unfold it should be the way it always is you see the, the little interaction a little point a little this a little that and then the play goes off not i got right. my flag here here i am like you know like if the terry guy McLaurin, at the okay corral has got his hand on yeah. his on his revolver ready to go it's, if terry mclaurin didn't move it would be one thing right right but he did he moved up so he's trying to be in enforcement of the rules and it's a silly i mean like it's a legal formation I, what are we doing here on the are, biggest play of the game? We are an opportunity ugh. for corruption among the officials, and they better take it seriously before it happens. And when it does happen, I will say I told you so every single opportunity I get because I've been telling you, National Football League, for years. 
that this is what you have to worry about. Now that gambling is legalized and you fully embraced it, you went from hating it in 2009 to loving it now that you know how much money you can make from it, you better wake up before it's too late. And if it does blow up, I am the type to say, I told you so. They've been telling me we need to take a break when we return. The Jaguars, as promised, stun the Dallas Cowboys with an overtime thriller. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Shotgun for Prescott. He drops the throw. Looking, looking, fires middle of the field, and that ball is picked off! It is picked off by Rayshon Jenkins! He's running it back along the right sideline! That is going to be a touchdown! That is going to be a touchdown! The Jags are going to win it on a Rayshon Jenkins pick six! Are you kidding me? How good is that? Pretty damn good. Jaguars pull off the victory down 27-10, tie the game up, back and forth, go to overtime, win the game 40-34 to with that pick six. And, you know, I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. Whether I'm here in studio or whether I'm home, that three hours of watching the early games, it entails just kind of a mild background level of stress because I know that between the hours of 4 and 5 Eastern, I'm going to be trying to get people on the phone, and it needs to be consequential, it needs to be relevant. And I'll sit there and think, I don't know who the hell I'm going to talk to today. Like, I don't know, I don't know. nobody's really standing out here. Need somebody to make a big play, need something to happen. As soon as Rayshon Jenkins did that, it was time to mobilize. I needed to talk to him because when you watch that replay, if we can show it again, you see Jenkins begin to follow Ezekiel Elliott. See, he takes a step back. Elliott's going down the line, but Jenkins stops. And I wanted to know what caused him to stay put, to squat in that zone. And he told me, this is coaching, it's film review, it's understanding tendencies. In that, as he called it, got to have it situation, third and four for the Cowboys. They love the mesh concept, the underneath route to try to get the quick catch at the sticks. So he froze there in place. His primary goal was to tackle Noah Brown short of the first down, but the ball popped up and he said, at that point, I had two objectives. One, get to the end zone and two, not get caught by any of the fast Cowboys receivers who possibly would be chasing me. You can see him at the end looking back to make in disbelief that there's no one that's in the process of dragging him down. His first pick six ever at any level of football comes at a time when the Jaguars needed it. They took down the Cowboys, their first win against an NFC team in 20 tries. And as we talked about earlier, they are on their way to the playoffs, potentially. Playoffs? Yes, playoffs for the Jaguars. Yeah, we can start talking about it. I mean, I I felt like that was going to happen when they started the season two and one, and then they started peeing down their leg against a bunch of teams. But now you really are seeing Trevor Lawrence take the progressions, right? The things that we want to see from a franchise quarterback, you're seeing it from Trevor Lawrence. He's making big-time throws, and they're getting the timely defensive plays that they need. Right, you, you see how a defense is well coached in that situation where when it comes up, they are there to be able to make the play. 
We're going back to Trevor Lawrence. I mean, look at this one right here. I mean, my God, hitting the man in stride. Zay Jones has been huge for the Jacksonville Jaguars this season. And then this one later on in the fourth quarter where he hits them. I mean, these are tight window throws. Lawrence is on the run. He's firing this thing on a frozen rope. It's really impressive to see what Lawrence is doing and how he's taking those steps forward. I mean, he had, you know, one of the worst rookie years that you could have as a number one overall pick, having to deal with Urban Meyer. You see the way Doug Peterson Who? I'm not comes familiar with in. that person. I've, I've expunged that name from my memory bank. Well, I mean, I'm from Ohio. I can't quite do it. But, you know, it's like <laughs> Peterson comes in. He has Lawrence unlearn what he's learned. And then you kind of put him back together again and start stacking those blocks. And you're really seeing the results. And I, I think, you know, this is one of those deals where you see Doug Peterson and that offensive staff that they assembled around Trevor Lawrence really pushing him forward and propelling him. And it's really nice to see. Has it ever occurred to you that you should count your lucky stars that Jimmy Haslam never decided he would hire Urban Meyer to be the Browns head coach? Kind of surprised that never occurred to Jimmy Haslam. Like they went 0-16. I mean, what what are we what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> still well, one in thirty one. I still think years. last saying, year like, what the I still on. think last year was worse for the Jaguars. The Urban Meyer experiment was worse, even though they did uh, win yeah, some yeah, games. Probably. So it just it just because yeah. it was so different than anything we've seen, but they recovered. And you mentioned early in the year they were two and one. They went to Philadelphia. They were up fourteen nothing. And I feel like like yeah. something happened then, and they couldn't get back on track. And Trevor Lawrence said last week it was the loss to the Broncos in London that woke him up. I guess it's like, man, if we're gonna lose to this team when Russell Wilson's washed, and they, you know, I better look in the mirror here if I ever want to be what I'm supposed <laughs> to be in the National Football League. Now there's a stray. <laughs> Russell Wilson yeah. catching a stray, but uh, that's that's what Lawrence said. That's when they turned it around, and they had been win one, lose one, win one, lose one. And I'd said they're the kid that brings home straight A's once in a while. You got to bring home the clean report card more than one nine weeks, to, if they still do nine weeks, to get me to believe you're a good student. And now they've, they've got two in a row, and they got their chance. Short week. Can they? We talked about this earlier. Can they process what happened yesterday? Can they reset from it? Can they get past the emotion and take on a Jets team that I firmly believe needs this one? Needs. Still got a few left in the bag. Needs this one more than the Jaguars do. That, and, and we'll see. I, I remember when the schedule came out and they showed week 15, or week 16, excuse me, Thursday night, Jaguars-Jets. That's one of those nights where you hope that something else comes up. Not this week. <laughs> Not this week. It, it should be a good game for a variety of reasons. And we thought it was going to be a good game most of the year because of the Jets. Now it's going to be a good game because of the Jaguars. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it should be really good, honestly, because these are two teams that are ascending kind of at the right time, right? I mean – and the Jets maybe not ascending as much as you would like, but they're, they're still a good team, and you know, they definitely need this game. The, uh, the Jaguars, though, look, I, I, just, I, I, I want to give them the credit they deserve. Jaguars fans out there, yeah. and there's one guy in particular who, who called it, and, and he wanted me to retweet. Oh, will you retweet it when the Jaguars beat the Cowboys? No, I won't, but I will mention that there were people out there, there are Jaguars fans, they're passionate Hopefully there will be more of them. The stadium was full yesterday, but I think it was Cowboys fans. But hopefully these Jaguars fans will realize the team is giving them something to feel good about, and they may yeah. get a very unexpected 
playoff appearance by the time it's all said and done. Let's take a break. A couple of teams that are heading toward the postseason, the Bengals and the Chiefs. They both get their wins in unexpected ways. We'll discuss those games when PFT Live continues right after this. Pissed off, we can't have, you know, it's the same old song, Bucks versus Bucks. You know, we play a good first half, and the second half we come out and we shoot ourselves in the foot either by turnovers or penalties or field position on special teams and, you know, the tail of two halves. And the half we played in the second half was Bucks versus Bucks. I was amazed when I saw that it was 17-0 Tampa Bay over the Cincinnati Bengals, and we have seen from time to time this year the Buccaneers figure it out. They've got the talent. They just haven't been able to consistently put it together to win football games. And now the Bengals come back. They win the game 34-23. to There were four turnovers from Tom Brady. And I had been feeling for a while, Miles, that I can forget – how they got there as long as they get there. And they still may get there. But once they get to the playoffs, it could be different. Tom Brady slips into postseason mode. It will be his 48th playoff game if and when the Buccaneers host the Cowboys, who will likely be the five seed in the NFC. But I, I'm getting to the point now where I just I don't, I don't want to see it. I'd rather see the Panthers. I'd rather see the Falcons. I'd rather see the Saints. I'd rather see somebody that that, I don't know, I, I, the, the, the Buccaneers are just too disappointing. They're too infuriating. They're too complacent. I don't know who to blame here. So I'll just blame everybody. Yeah. But it's just a mess. It's a mess, and I don't, I don't want to see them on my TV screen in the playoffs at this point. Well, Mike, you, you know what my favorite Canadian jazz fusion band is, right? Bad, bad, not good. That's what the Buccaneers are, man. They're not a good football team. They are very bad. They are bad, bad. They are not good. Look, and I, I just, I don't know if it starts with Todd Bowles and goes on down. I don't know if it's just that Brady is finally washed. I don't know what it is, but I think what's emblematic of it is Gio Bernard, and we showed that botched fake punt there. And frankly, I don't understand why when you're up 17 to three, you are fake punting it at the beginning Gotta be aggressive. of the second half. Got to be aggressive. Got to be aggressive. That's why. It's good to be aggressive. Always be aggressive. Nope. Okay, but Gio, I mean, but Gio Bernard, Gio Bernard, he didn't register. Territory. Didn't even re- he didn't even know it was coming. Like surely, surely they didn't. Surely they're not doing this. I've been around well, the block a few times. Surely they're not calling <laughs> a fake punt in this spot. Well, they did call a fake punt, and don't call him Shirley. And you know, Todd Bowles addressed it after the game and said that yeah, it's what we were trying to do. We felt like we could get four or five yards there, and I guess you know, fine, but. Also, then Gio Bernard didn't want to address it in the locker room. And I saw a video of this on Twitter. And the reporters had to basically flag him down. And he had said some comment like, you guys didn't want to talk to me throughout the whole year. Basically not remembering the fact, I guess, that he's been hurt for most of the year. And also you had a critical play in the game. And so if Jacoby Myers can stand there and talk about how he bleeped up, then certainly Gio Bernard can stand there and answer, answer a couple of questions about that particular critical play in the game. So it's just, it is all bad right now for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they may win that division, they may not, but they're not doing anything in the playoffs. I don't think even Tom Brady has enough magic for that. Going to be very interesting to see what Tom Brady has to say to Jim Gray on the new edition of the Let's Go podcast, which will debut at some point today into tonight. They send around some of the clips. Sometimes you have to listen to the whole thing because they, they don't, always transcribe the best stuff 
the, the most interesting stuff that makes it into the Let's Go podcast. But Tom's got to be wondering. Fairly tough defense. That was one of them from last week. That that was bulletin board material for the Bengals. I just can't help but wonder whether he really will consider his options for twenty twenty three, or whether he'll just say, "I'm I'm out. I'm done. That's it." Because as of last week, I think the Sunday Splash report from NFL media was all options are on the table. I just can't imagine that he would want to risk going somewhere and being further exposed as part of the problem. Although, as of last week, he was on pace for the single-season record for completions and attempts. And he had 30 completions yesterday and 44 attempts, which probably puts him even more on pace to set the record. So I don't know that that matters, but it shows the guy can still play. Steve Young said this a few weeks ago when they played the Saints on Monday night and won the game late. Guys retire because they can't do it anymore. Tom Brady can still do it. That's going to be the great dilemma for him. And he may want to, kind of like with Aaron Rodgers. Like, the the Packers still may make the playoffs. But at at one point a few weeks back, it was like, well, Aaron Rodgers has to come back because this can't be your last season. And maybe Tom Brady's going to have to come back because this can't be, not making the playoffs. Maybe for him, like winning a Super Bowl and walking away is the best possible outcome. But maybe just making the playoffs and walking away is better than a year that you fail to make the playoffs in the worst division in football where the champion has a losing record. I still think they're going to make it, and I still think he may have a few tricks up his sleeve when we get to single elimination, but, uh, but we'll see. The Bengals, meanwhile, they take advantage of their opportunity to seize control of the AFC North, and they still continue to be in the conversation for that number one seed. Miles, two weeks from tonight, January 2nd, mm-hmm. Bengals hosting the Bills. I think that mm-hmm. game is going to decide the one seed. The Bills win it. They're the one seed. The Bengals win it. It's going to be the Chiefs or Cincinnati controlling the path to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that is massive. And there are right now three really, really good teams in the AFC that I can see making it out of that conference and making it to the Super Bowl, which means that one of them is going to eliminate the other in the divisional round, probably, right? Unless something weird happens and they get eliminated before then. So it is going to be... One of those drag out fights, I, I believe, you know, in a couple of weeks in Cincinnati between the Bills and the and, and the Bengals. The Texans have gotten themselves into a couple of drag out fights in recent weeks, although they ultimately have been the ones dragged out. They still only have one win, one twelve and one, but they acquitted themselves well against the Cowboys last week, and they took the Chiefs to overtime. I thought this one would be just a blowout because. The Chiefs understand that the Texans aren't as bad as their record would suggest, and the Chiefs trying to keep themselves in position to get that one seed. Uh, The Chiefs have had some sluggish moments of late. This was just a great opportunity for them to come out and flex their muscles and get it done, but they were ultimately unable to make it happen as the Chiefs win their seventh straight AFC title, AFC West title, excuse me. They're now 11-3, and there it is. Jarek McKinnon, after the fumble from Davis Mills that gave the short field to the Chiefs, Jarek McKinnon scores his second touchdown of the day, and the Chiefs win. On another day when Patrick Mahomes just just does Patrick Mahomes things, and just we talked about it earlier with Justin Herbert, the Chiefs just let him do his thing. They know yes. what he can do, and they let him do it. And it's not buttoned up. It's not always pretty, but far more often than not, it's effective, Miles. 
This was one of the biggest plays of the game. Third down and five, Chiefs way backed up in their own territory, and they need a first down. And so who does Patrick Mahomes look to but Travis Kelsey breaking every single rule in the quarterback handbook by rolling to his right and then firing back across his body to his left. But it was a fastball, and it got there, and somehow Travis Kelsey made the play. And Mahomes, I mean, when you're 36 of 41, you make your last 20 passes. I mean, this was a week where Patrick Mahomes wanted to be much better than he was last week against the Denver Broncos. That was obvious. And Eric Bieniemy talked about it during the week where it's like, hey, man, Patrick, you got to move on from that stuff that you did wrong in that last game. We got to move on to the next play. But I think there was that sense of urgency from Patrick Mahomes, Mike. And I know you talked to him after the game. And obviously, he played pretty out of his mind in that game. And one of the things that really impresses me about him, he has never changed during his time in the NFL. He's the same kid who came out of Texas Tech. He will take the time to talk on the phone after a game whenever I ask for him. They've never told me no. Now, I don't ask for him every week. It was the first time I've asked for him this year. But he makes himself available, and he engages in a real conversation i'm not going to name names but some folks it's one cliche after another it's one this is what i'm supposed to say after another it never feels like a true back and forth with thoughtful responses with patrick mahomes it is always a thoughtful response it's a meaningful response it was a fun conversation and he explained to me in relation to that what chris sims called a hook shot throw to travis kelsey for him, Because I said, do you ever amaze yourself? Do you ever go back and watch those plays and say, what the heck? I can't believe that happened. And he said, <laughs> for him, those things happen when he slips into panic mode. The throw to Jarek McKinnon last week, panic mode. Left-handed throw, panic mode. Some of his best plays have been, I'm in panic mode, I'm running around, and I, ho- I hope a guy gets open. And he said they yeah. practice that. They practice it in training camp. They They – lean fully into what makes him great and they work at it so when it happens in a game they have a better chance of something good happening then that's how you coach a rare talent you just don't say go do your thing during the game you say go do your thing during practice we're going to try to harness this we're going to try to establish some patterns we're going to try to get you as comfortable as you can be when you're running around with your hair on fire that's what makes him so special, and that's what makes the Chiefs so unique, and it makes them very much alive for the number one seed in the AFC. He, he did say he was watching the Bills game Saturday night, rooting for the Dolphins. I mean, he understands <laughs> it's good to be the one seed, but if they have to go to Buffalo, they'll go to Buffalo, and I'm sure they'll give us a hell of a game wherever they may end up playing the Bills if they do cross paths. We're going to take a break. We'll talk about the Bills-Dolphins game a little bit later. When we return, though, we had to carve out some time for the Saturday game that ended up being historic, from historically bad to becoming the greatest comeback in the 103-year history of the National Football League, Colts-Vikings. We'll talk about that one when PFT Live continues right after this. Snap spot. Joseph, right-footed kick. It is! Let's go to 
An unbelievable day for the Vikings, and it really was unbelievable at first. So I was traveling Love to this. the Pittsburgh airport, watching the game en route, and 3 nothing, 10 nothing, 17 nothing. It was just – it was horrendous. It was just one of those days where you step into a pothole and the other team just rolls right over you, and it was 33 nothing at halftime. So I'm on the plane. When it's 33 nothing, and I turn on airplane mode as instructed, I comply with all FAA regulations, fly to New York. And somebody said to me, oh, you don't get the Wi-Fi on the plane? Well, it's above 10,000 feet for like 25 minutes. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You saw my $20 bill earlier. I'm not spending 10 bucks for 25 minutes of Wi-Fi. I've got some shows downloaded on my phone, working my way through Peaky Blinders, and I have to put the, the captions on because I can't understand like 50% or more of what they're saying. Um, so I'll watch some of that. I'll read some of a book. and just kind of relax a little bit, sleep a little bit. So the plane lands, airplane mode off, again, compliance with all FAA regulations. And I got like 50 text messages. And it's like, well, this is interesting. And I started texting the PFT. They're like, what, what is going, what is happening? So 33 nothing. it wheels up, 36 all when the plane lands, and then I was able to watch the last two minutes of regulation and all of overtime kind of stumbling through LaGuardia Airport trying not to fall down. They got these new escalators that are like, it's like the, the old escalator to heaven. I, I mean, they, they are so long and so steep. Like, if you would fall down there, you would be in heaven or hell. And and so I'm just kind of working my way through there trying to watch this game, and, and I ended up seeing the end of it in the car on the way to the hotel. It's like, this is un. Believable what the Vikings were able to do. And this was the moment that Dalvin Cook screen pass for the touchdown. I don't know what 72 is doing here. <laughs> I don't think he knows either. But, Miles, I want to back up a play before that because I think that Jeff Saturday cooked his goose with the quarterback sneak on fourth and one. When you have a kicker who made, I think, 17 field goals on the day. My math may be off a little bit on that, but Chase McLaughlin was nailing them all day. It's a dome. It's a 53-yarder. He had made one of similar distance, almost identical distance earlier. Instead, they do the 37-year-old headed to the glue factory quarterback who is, I mean, he's somewhere between the scarecrow and the tin man. I'm not sure which one, but you don't send him into the line of scrimmage with no one pushing him from behind. And he's holding the ball at his hip when he should be reaching it out, and he doesn't make it. What, what's that call? What's what are you doing there? Kick the field goal or punt. You don't you don't just hand the ball back in that spot to the Vikings. And and on the next play, the Vikings made him pay for it, tied it up, and and that was that. Unbelievable. And and I watched the second half of that game yesterday. It never really felt inevitable. It never felt like there was this avalanche coming. It was just kind of like the Vikings were hanging around, and they were hanging around, and they scored a touchdown here and a a touchdown there, and all of a sudden it's a one-score game. Like, hey, look at that. And they get screwed by the the bad call with the fumble that should have been a touchdown. It should have been tied up with, you know, four or five more minutes left than there were when it was finally tied up. But it's just unbelievable. Never seen anything like it, and it felt so different from the Bills-Oilers playoff game from early 1993 because that felt like – the Bills, like, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. It never really felt like that until it was tied up. And it's like, oh, there it is. They're tied up, and uh, let's see if they can go win it. And they did. 
don't know. It started to feel like that to me. You know, once you get the second touchdown, it wasn't the first touchdown, but then the Colts just couldn't move the damn ball. And then you see what happened there on that particular play as we're showing it right now with the fumble that was recovered and had a clear recovery and should have been a touchdown. It was it was another one of those really, really bad officiating calls where they are supposed to let the play run because all turnovers are reviewed. Right. I mean, this is something that we see pretty much every week now. And that wasn't even close. The ball's out while he wasn't falling down. He's standing up. I know. It was a horrendous call to make him down by contact in the first place. But yes, the ball was was out. The ball was very clearly out before any part of the body was close to the ground. So that made it even worse. So I think at that point, it was kind of like, yeah, well, the the Vikings are going to do this. I mean, the Colts, man. I guess this is what happens when you hire an interim coach who's never coached before, except for in high school. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, but that was, that was one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen on a football field and poor Matt Ryan to be on the losing end of two of the most embarrassing things that have ever happened in NFL history. Steve Smith said during the NFL network coverage of the Dolphins bills game that Jeff Saturday should be the first interim head coach to be fired while he's the interim head coach not that Jim Irsay is going to do that but with Jim Irsay you can't rule out anything I do think that Saturday squandered his chance I think he went from at halftime being the guy to by the end of the game being not the guy remember when he got the job he said hey this is an opportunity to audition for the other teams auditions not going for and I'm, so, I'm not taking any glee in this right it's all you had to do in that spot was kick no, the field goal real. or punt you, you, that's not the play you call in that spot with a 37-year-old quarterback who looks malnourished, frankly. You don't run him in to the line of scrimmage. All right, let's take a break. The Saturday night game, Bills-Dolphins. It was supposed to snow the whole game. The snow finally showed up just in time to give us what felt like a regular season classic as the Bills took on the Dolphins. We'll break that one down when PFT Live continues right after this. Tell you what, you guys learned how to make it pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. That's, that's real guts right there. Guts and heart all the way. Guys hurt, guys stepping up. And then T-Bass coming in to finish it all. Yeah. Yeah. Playoff berth right there, huh? Yeah. You got a song for us? Hey, you got a song ready to go? Walk in the truck, take hey, over. Hey, hey, team 03, one, two, three. Three. Buffalo Bills clinching a playoff berth, beating the Miami Dolphins 32-29. to 29. Fifth playoff berth in six years under Coach Sean McDermott. Four straight for the Bills. They now have a three-game lead over the Dolphins in the AFC East. Josh Allen doing Josh Allen things. He had that run in the second half. Oh, man. Where he, said, he said he felt like Forrest Gump at some point, and he, he just exploded. I'm surprised he didn't score a touchdown on that play. Here it is. Yeah. Under 11 minutes to go, and he just accelerates past guys. I mean, guys who think they have angles don't have angles, and off he goes. He is big, he is strong, and he is fast. And here's Sneaky uh, fast, some might say. Nice touchdown pass there to... Dawson Knox, the snow's falling. Just a great scene. Just a great scene. And this play here, unbelievable as it happened. The ball's bouncing around. I 
I, I don't I don't want to be unfairly critical of the coverage of the game, but they, they were clueless that he had scored and that there was even a question that he had scored. They went to break yeah. without even addressing it. They come back from break. Oh, it's a touchdown. Yes, it is. And they're talking about how it has to break the plane. It doesn't have to break the plane. All it has to do is kiss the line. All the ball has to do is kiss the line, and it's a touchdown. That was clearly a touchdown. Great job by the – Now that we two point? That was the two-point, wasn't it? Was that the two-point conversion? I thought that was the touchdown. Was it – whatever it was. I'm sorry. You're right. It was the two-point. I'm sorry. It was a long yeah. day. It was a long day it of was. travel. It's been, yeah, it's, been long two with, days of, it's been a long two days of football. Regardless. We, we, regardless. You get one. Regardless. You get one. He was in. He was in. Yeah. They were right. And uh, the Bills get the win, ultimately, 32-29. to 29. So, uh, and, and the Dolphins should feel, even though they've lost three games in a row, good about where they are. They're proving they can play with anyone. They're proving they're going to be a tough out. They're proving that they could get hot. They just need a few tweaks here or there. Mike McDaniel, it's going to be a challenge for him to say the right things, to hold it together. They've lost three in a row. But for, you know, as three-game losing streaks go, I feel like they are in a good spot for the final three games of the season. Do you agree? Yes, I, I do. Look, there are no moral victories, but after the way that they played out here in Los Angeles last Sunday night, I think they needed to at least have a better performance. Tua Tungabailoa was much better in this game. I mean, there was that throw that he had down the right sideline, you know, for a touchdown. That's his best throw that he's had in the last few weeks after going, you know, to the Bay Area and losing to San Francisco and then losing to the Chargers. He he was playing more like the quarterback that we've seen throughout the course of this season. But Josh Allen was the MVP, right? I mean, that was Josh Allen playing like the MVP we thought he was going to be when I believe he was the betting favorite to be MVP coming into this season. You know, when you play like that, you limit turnovers. He did have the strip sack that Miami didn't take enough advantage of, frankly. But when you're throwing the ball as he was, when you're running the ball as he was, that tells you what the Bills can be. And that is exactly what we think, you know, the Bills are going to look like in January football, you know, where they are able to run Josh Allen like that, where Josh Allen is finding Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox and hell, even Cole Beasley for a couple of plays. That's the Josh Allen they need to be a Super Bowl caliber team. And if he continues playing like that, that's where they're going to end up. There was also a moment that reminded me of Chuck Foreman being pelted in the eye with an ice ball, December 20 1975 it got so bad with bills fans throwing snowballs that day that bud grant eventually took his team off the field left the defense on the field and basically said hey if you get if we get the ball back just play offense paul kraus would have been the quarterback of the vikings offense late in that game it was a 35 13 win by minnesota but what they did on saturday night stopped the game threatened the Bills with 15-yard penalty if they didn't quit throwing snowballs. And it does become a safety hazard. I saw a lot of people on social media complaining, oh, just keep your helmet on. I mean, you pack a snowball tight, you make it icy, you can injure somebody with it, even if you don't hit them in the helmet. You can hit them in the arm, you can hit them in the leg, you can hit them in a lot of places where it would hurt. And uh, good, good on the Bills fans to knock it off, because for the most part they did when they were told to. Yeah, I mean, as somebody who grew up also on the shores of Lake Erie, man, that lake affects snow. That can pack a punch. There's some snowball fights I had as a kid, man. You wouldn't want to be involved in those. You're not from Cleveland. You're from Cincinnati, to quote the great 
Sam Weish. That's Don't another ever say that. I am snowball incident. I know, I know, but that's another that's another I snowball know. incident of days gone by. Let's go ahead and take a break. Uh, we will wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. The Sam Weish moment was December 10, 1989. It's going to drive me crazy today until I figure out what exactly they were throwing that day. I thought it was snow. Maybe it was other things. Maybe it was batteries, other projectiles. I don't know in Cincinnati for that game some 33 years ago. Tonight, Rams and the Packers get together. We get at least to do a one-minute preview of the game. Jair Alexander had an interesting comment on Saturday. The Packers cornerback said if we – run our game plan the way that we've designed it. We could have seven interceptions. I'm sure Baker Mayfield, the Rams quarterback, has caught wind of that statement, Miles. Oh, I'm sure he will. And if, you know, they go up there and they win in the Rams, then he will probably reference it in his post-game press conference, or at least I hope he does. Hey, man, the last time he went up there in December last year with the Cleveland Browns, he threw four picks. So... Maybe Jair Alexander is, you know, thinking about that. And I can't necessarily blame him because that was probably the day that he sealed his fate as not being the quarterback of the Browns long term. Last time we saw Baker Mayfield, he had two days to get ready to play and he was spectacular. Ultimately, he's now had 11 days since that last game. That's that longest break you can get in season. Five teams had it this year. The Rams are the last ones to have it where you play on Thursday and then not again until the following Monday. That extra time to get Baker Mayfield up to speed. No Aaron Donald tonight, Cooper. Cup's not coming back this year. The Rams are just trying to make it interesting, and it makes it fun. We're going to see them on Christmas Day against the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson. So a couple doses of Baker Mayfield over the next few days. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully you're looking forward to it. Miles, great job as always. Safe travels back to Cincinnati. I mean Cleveland. We'll see everybody else tomorrow morning. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.